95.5 R&B and Old School for the Lou. I was presented with the opportunity to meet and interview Dr. Umar Johnson. So I decided to go live and um, welcome to St. Louis. So um, not only are you here to talk about all the things that you do, but he also has a brand new book, Psycho-Academic Holocaust. The Special Education and ADHD Wars Against Black Boys. Not just black boys, but black girls, too, honestly. But um, welcome to St. Louis. Thank welcome you. to the radio station. Glad Thank you here. for this opportunity. So we were talking offline just mm-hmm. about um, special education, ADHD. So tell me about the work that you do as a psychologist. As a school psychologist, uh, there's different types of psychologists. My doctorate is in clinical. Okay. So a clinical psychologist specializes in the diagnosis in treatment of mental illness, depression, schizophrenia, anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. eating disorders. Right. That's clinical. But school psychologist is a psychologist of learning. Our job is to evaluate to determine if children have learning disabilities. Okay. So school psychology differs from clinical psychology because you're only dealing with how the mental problems can affect learning. Gotcha. So if a child's mental problem does not affect learning, they do not get special ed. So let's say you have a son with ADHD. Okay. ADHD is not a special ed disability. It's a mental disorder. Right. It's clinical. Right, okay. But if it affects the child's ability to learn, then he can be put in special ed. So we're dealing with reading disabilities, math disabilities, autism, intellectual disabilities, Hmm. speech and language, deafness, blindness, traumatic brain injury, but the big black four Mm -hmm. are the reading disability, Mm-hmm. The emotional disturbance, mild mental retardation, and ADHD. And so it, you you concentrate on this in this book. You talk about it being a war against black boys. Mm-hmm. So tell me about ADHD and the war against black boys. And how long were you actually looking into this and researching okay. it? Well, I've been a school psychologist for almost 20 years now. Okay. Uh, so I'm very well versed in this. ADD mm-hmm. came to us in 1980. Okay. It was not ADHD at first. It exactly. Was ADD. In 1980, and that came as an outgrowth of the war against black men. So basically, in the 1980s, that's when the United States government intensified its mass incarceration campaign. Mm-hmm. So that's when fathers really started leaving the home to go to jail. Right. That left a vacuum. But all these black mothers were raising black boys on their own. Uh, yep. And because when the father is not there, the discipline tends to slack off, Mm -hmm. okay? And when the father is not there, a boy going through pre-puberty and adolescence, he craves that father because around seven, eight, nine, you stop hanging around mommy so much and you start learning how to be a man with dad. Exactly. But when dad's not there, that can cause some sort of emotional dysfunctionality. Right. So the boy goes to school looking for the attention that he doesn't get at home. Mm -hmm. And they call it ADHD. It's nothing but fatherlessness. That's all it is. But the government cannot admit that this problem is caused by fatherlessness because they're the ones causing the fatherlessness. Exactly. So what we got to do is make a disease out of it. And so they came up with an attention deficit disorder. 1987, ADD became ADHD. Oh, okay. And the That's reason it became ADHD is because there's no drug that can make your son pay attention. All this is about money. What about Ritalin? I mean, that's that's what the drug was used right, but for. Ritalin, Stratera, Concerta, Metadate, Cycler, no drug can make a child pay attention. The only thing the drugs do is arrest brain chemistry. They calm you down. Mm -hmm. They cannot make you pay attention. In other words, you don't have to be hyper to not be paying attention. Exactly. So the drug makes you sit still, but you still are not paying attention. Yeah, you still ain't absorbing anymore. Why give him the drug 
if he's still not going to be learning. Because the purpose of the drug is so that the white teachers who teach our boys, most of whom don't even want to be in there with them, Hello. can have an easier school day. So the drugs ain't for the kids. It's for the teachers. It's for the teachers. Now, <sighs> I call ADHD what it really is, mm-hmm. which is not attention deficit hyperactivity. What it really is, mm-hmm. is ain't no daddy at home disorder. ADHD. That's mm. all it is. 85% of black boys on stimulant medicine don't have a father or father figure. 80%. 85. 85%. In some cities, it's higher than that. I'm willing. I, I bet you I could walk into any school in St. Louis and ask all the boys to raise your hand if you want medicine. And how much you want to bet that in most classrooms in your city, more than half the boys are hooked on kitty crack. And I call it kitty crack because the Drug Enforcement Agency classifies Ritalin as a Schedule B drug. That means Ritalin is just as addictive and it's classified. And y'all pass those pills around, too. Be honest. Don't yeah. act like you haven't taken Ritalin for fun. Cocaine like, and I've opium. never. But, cocaine you know. and opium. Ritalin is classified yeah. with cocaine and opium by the Drug Enforcement Agency. And they freely and willingly give it. Do we have any questions on uh, IG Live? No, not yet. It's just people tuning in. So, hey, y'all. Thank you. If you're just now joining us, obviously, this is Dr. Umar Johnson. He's actually in St. Louis tomorrow um, and you're actually here for, uh, you're talking about the book and you're yes, speaking ma'am. at Better Family Life. Yes, what time? Ma'am. Six o'clock. Doors okay. open up at four. Fifty-four, fifteen page boulevard tomorrow night, April 28th. So what kind of resistance do you meet um, from parents, specifically black mothers, when you tell them, yo, you, you, you agreed to this and now your child is being labeled and this is what you, like, do they come to you like, what should we do moving forward? Like, what are the, some of the solutions? I mean, you, you're laying out the problems, you're laying out. How well, it's been a solution. Okay, you the do solution give a solution. is real simple, but the black community don't want to hear the solution. And what is it? We don't specialize in solutions because solutions take time. They take money. They take commitment. They take sacrifices. Okay. And we do not invest in ourselves. We're the only non-white people in America that does not control their own political economic reality. The solution is to give every black child in St. Louis their own independent school. And you can do it. St. Louis spent over a billion dollars on Christmas gifts last year. Hello. Black America spent $600 million on McDonald's last year. $2 billion on Air Jordan last year. $4 billion on alcohol last year. Black women spent over $9 billion on hair care last year. I knew it was going to be hair, baby, because we go there for some hair. Black people spent twice, bought twice as many Mercedes Benzes as white folks last year. Twice as many Mercedes. Mm-hmm. But white people have twice as much wealth as you do. Look at that. So you're talking about conspicuous consumption. So while our children are being miseducated, only one out of every four black boys graduates from high school in America. But only they got- one out of four. 37% of black girls did not graduate last year. So we have a crisis in miseducation, but yet and still the black community doesn't want to take responsibility to fix that crisis. Mm. Somebody said, I, I read this recently, I cannot remember the man's name. They said that we won't, we won't beat white supremacy because black people are too busy trying to impl- impress other black folks. That's my quote. Who said that? Somebody else said they it, They took too. it from me. That's they took quote. it from Oh, excuse, excuse me, honey, but it wasn't you. I, I remember I would have remembered had it quote. been you. It was another gentleman who said yeah. it, and he said it because somebody else quoted it. Will Smith it. said it best. What did he say? Will Smith said black people spend too much money we do not have, buying things we do not need to impress other black people we don't even like. Or no. Mm-hmm. So that's something to think about, obviously. I mean, See, we, we can do it talk a lot. about the white teachers all day. And we have to because they are the medium, the conduit of the problem. See, when people say we got a problem with black boys in the school, mm-hmm. they make you look at black boys. But the problem isn't the black boys. Who is responsible for teaching a boy? Because the textbooks don't teach 
Chalkboard don't teach. Classroom mm-hmm. don't teach. Desk don't teach. White women teach. But nobody identifies her as a problem in this process. So she is almost given some sort of immunity from responsibility to how she causes this whole situation. ADHD mm-hmm. is almost exclusively diagnosed off the complaints of white teachers and black mothers. Almost exclusively. Fathers do not take their sons to the doctor to get ADHD medicine. We give out discipline. We don't do drugs. Mothers and white females. Yeah, teachers. black men don't do drugs for themselves. So. Right. <laughs> no. Well, I mean for the children. <laughs> I know, but they, I mean, they don't want to, they definitely don't want to give it to the children. Right. So why did you take up this particular cause? Because you kept seeing it. It was something that you no, kept no. seeing it well, yourself. I wanted to be a psychologist since I was in the third grade. I'm talking about this particular right. with the special education. And when did you get into that? I wanted to be a psychologist since the third, third grade. When mm-hmm. I came out of undergrad, I started a master's program in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't afford it. It was too expensive. So I decided to return to my undergraduate alma mater, Millersville University. Okay. They had a school psychology program. And the director at Hahnemann's program told me that if you're going to go back to Millersville, you should look into school psychology with your background because even if you get your doctorate, you cannot evaluate for special ed disabilities if you don't have that certification. Okay. So it was curiosity that led me to school psychology. I was purely clinical, but I'm glad I did because in becoming a school psych, I came face to face with how special ed and ADHD were being used as the major courses, pieces of the school to prison pipeline. Hmm. It is the school to prison pipeline. The school to prison pipeline is special ed because once you get put in special ed, you are not likely to graduate on grade level. And if a black boy can't read, by the time he finishes the fifth grade, there's an 85% chance that he will never learn how. What is the average reading level of black men in prison? The average reading level of black men in America's prisons? Third grade. Dr. Umar, we have a question. Okay. And the question is, how is is Ritalin used in the prison? Mm -hmm. Ritalin is not generally prescribed in a prison because it is a child psychiatric medicine. Mm -hmm. So it's normally for school-age children. However, prisoners are at particular susceptibility to be over-medicated. Why? Anyone who's a ward of the state can be over-prescribed medicine because they have no one outside of the system to advocate for them. So, for example, children who are adopted, especially children who are adjudicated, foster children, Mm they get the most prescriptions of all. The drug companies just dump on them because they don't have no mom, no family to say, "Uh uh-uh, they're not going to drug them up like that. So once you become a ward of the system, the medication intensifies. Are you saying that ADHD is used to discipline your children? I would say ADHD is taking the place of the daddy in the home. Whereas the daddy was the disciplinarian, we now send the children to the doctor. So the daddy ain't there. So the pill... It's almost like a whipping in a bottle. And I would say that I agree. I saw this um, 20 years ago when I worked at the Housing Authority in St. Louis City. And back then, obviously, I put I processed people for Section 8 housing. I was a caseworker. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the women would come in. And this was a sector of the community. I didn't grow up like that. I didn't, you know. So mm-hmm. I became aware that something was going on. I was like, all of their kids are on SSI. I didn't mm-hmm. understand the, the women who were, they were, they were getting AFDC. Yeah. And they were getting Section 8. Obviously, they were on food stamps. And then this SSI thing, I didn't even know what it was. That was mm-hmm. the first time I even heard those words. And I was like, well, why are their children getting SSI? And they were, oh, because he's been diagnosed with ADHD or he has ADD. And I was just mm-hmm. like, wow, so you get a check? And then I realized that this was a system. And I was just like, man, just like when I was 
a senior in high school, I realized that prison was the new slavery. It was just like, and I would say these things and people would look at me. My peers would look at me like I was absolutely insane. But once I, and I was a young adult when I worked at, at Section 8. So I, I knew then that something just quite wasn't right. And then I knew that black women were being taken advantage of and that their children were being taken advantage of. And mm-hmm. obviously this was a time here in St. Louis where crack was very prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been a shame that we've not been more educated and we've not seeked out the knowledge. And I, I appreciate people like you who are willing to point it out. Mm-hmm. And like you said, but you've met resistance. So I'm sure it's people watching now just like, oh, no, no. Well, denial is the first symptom of mental, mental illness. Somebody comes in, they're addicted to cocaine. You got to get them to admit they're addicted. They're right. going to push. Every, everything's denial. Right. You follow me? So right. parents are going to push. But to be honest with you, I don't really get a lot of pushback from parents okay. because they see it. They come to me looking for the solution. So how do we? How do we stop it? It's normally members of the black bourgeoisie. Mm -hmm. White folks don't mess with me too much either because they know that I know my stuff. So it don't really come from what it come from gatekeeping Negroes. For example, your son is at a school with a black principal. Mm -hmm. The black principal is the reason your son got diagnosed with emotional disturbance in the first place. I'm telling you that your son was misdiagnosed. So you have to go to the black principal who grew up in the same neighborhood your son come from and say, my son should have never been given this label. So now Dr. Umar got to fight the principal because the principal just been exposed as a gatekeeper. Now, let's be clear. This whole school to prison pipeline is maintained by black folks. It's created by whites, but it's maintained by us. From the Department of Education. Most of the time I'm fighting, I don't fight white principals. They don't even bother to fight. Give him what he wants. I got to fight Negroes. They're the ones giving our children felling march. They're the ones suspending the kids every other day. They're the ones uh, sending them to these juvenile delinquency centers. It's them. So what, how do you feel about Betsy DeVos? Betsy DeVos is, she is cancer. Here's the thing. Betsy DeVos wants to, first of all, we got charter schools in 1990. The reason charter schools were created was to defund inner city black public schools. Mm-hmm. Charter schools were created to be the kryptonite to public education. Right. That's not to attack black charters who do a good job. Right. I want to be clear. But the movement itself is to kill public education in the cities. Okay. Mm-hmm. Betsy DeVos comes along. The reason Betsy DeVos was put in office is because not only did she create Michigan's charter school system, she is big time pro voucher. Right. So you already got one weapon of mass destruction. That's a charter school. Betsy DeVos is coming in with the voucher. And I don't support vouchers. Right. And none of us should if we give a damn about black children. Why? Because if I'm a middle class, take me, I'm a psychologist, right? I mm-hmm. have two daughters. If Betsy DeVos says St. Louis public schools can give Dr. Johnson $5,000 per daughter to find a private school, and that private school costs fifteen, dollars I got to come up with another 20000 right? And we ain't going to be able to do that. How many single mothers you know can come up with the difference? They can't. The only people who benefit from that is bourgeoisie blacks. So, so what, the, what are their options? What are, what are the, what's the, our this, option? I'm uh-huh. going to tell you where we messed up. In the 1980s, we were fighting for community control of the public schools. Community control. Right. Not no damn charter. White folks came in and said, you know what? I think we can hijack this. Let's go to these community control advocates and tell them, instead of controlling the education, why don't you take out a charter application? And we ran for it. You want to know why? Because mm. we saw the free money. See, if Umar Johnson comes to St. Louis and open up a charter school for black boys, Umar Johnson can pay himself $200,000. I'm going to hire you to be the principal. Mm-hmm. So who's running the school? You. You're the principal. I'm right. the CEO. Exactly. Which is a new thing that we just made up the past 10 years to give ourselves a free check. Yes. It's a hustle. See, what we should have stayed with was community control. That way we decide who gets fired, who get hired. Now, you decide who gets fired and who get hired at a charter. 
But who controls the charter? The CEO. The state. Oh. The state. Charter schools are not privately owned. Those are state institutions. So the charter school was a hijacking of the community control of the public school movement. You got another question, Steve? Um, Dr. Umar. Yes, sir. Here's another question from Facebook Live. What happens if your child is not learning in the public school system? Question too general, because I would follow up to say, what grade is he not learning and what subject is he struggling in? But generally speaking, two things. Number one, every parent is a homeschooling parent. We got this thing where if our kids go to public school, we're not supposed to work with them. So number one, black parents have to be held accountable for the fact that we're not working with our children at home. I do therapy. I can count on one hand the amount of black houses I've been in, where there's a dictionary, a thesaurus, where there's a quiet place for children to even do their homework. So if there's no books in your house, how are you going to blame the public school for miseducating? If you know black boys better know how to read by the time they finish the fifth, and you ain't even got a bookshelf in your house, then you're just as liable as the school system. Flat out, man. Number two, if you live in an economically challenged neighborhood, Every school gets Title I money. This is federal money that comes into the ghettos to help black children with reading and math. Go to the principal and demand that they hire a tutor to work with your child. And if they say they don't have the money, tell them, yes, you do. How much was in your Title I budget this year? What the principals do is they take our Title I money and they spend it to give the football team new helmets and the basketball team new uniforms, and we don't do nothing about it. Because everybody knows that most black parents could care less what goes on in that school unless somebody curses at their child. Children don't drop out of school until we drop out of their lives. Show me a failing child, I show you a failing parent. A child cannot fail unless the parent failed first. Well, I mean, you speaking some hard truths. People... This is stuff we need to hear. We cannot. And I I mean, I'm a parent and I feel you and I feel the same way. I I can't disagree with you. I completely agree with you. But I'm glad you're saying it and I'm not saying it because y'all be mad at me if I was saying it. My worst worst experience in my job. Oh, my God. You say, what's the thing you hate the most? I'm going to tell you what I hate the most. When I walk into a meeting, I just evaluated the child. I got the evaluation. Mm -hmm. I got a principal. I got a white teacher. I got a counselor, dean of students. And I got the black mother. Mm-hmm. You're black. Most of them white. Might have a few Negroes involved. I'm telling you that this boy ain't got no reading disability. He's in the fifth grade, reading on the second grade level. He doesn't have a problem learning. Your son's problem is he never been taught. He was pushed through. He never been taught. Mm-hmm. In second grade, your son was suspended every other day. He was never allowed to learn. He was always in the principal's office. Right. Third grade, your son's teacher went out on maternity leave. From 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 Thanksgiving. To the end of the school year, your son had 15 substitute teachers. Fourth grade, your son had a brand new teacher, fresh out of University of Missouri, little white girl, could barely read her damn self. Are you following me? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. your son was a victim of miseducation, inadequate educational opportunity. But now they're telling you he needs special ed. He got a learning disability. No, he don't. He ain't been taught. But if you're a lazy mother, if you're a lazy mother, Mm -hmm. when Dr. Johnson tells you, just work with this boy. Get him a tutor. Don't put your son in special ed. You put him in special ed, he's never going to get out. He'll graduate right into prison. But if you're lazy and you believe everything white folks say, you're going to go along with them. And guess what's going to happen? Mm. Five years later, you're going to come right back to me. Dr. Johnson, everything you said was right. Can you help me get my son out? And I'm going to look at you and say, why you didn't do what I told you to do the first time? Now I got to fight twice as hard because you took the word of white folks over me. It happens every day. Well. 
tomorrow night he's speaking. He'll be at Better Family Life. You need to be there. You need to pick up the book. If if this is a situation that you're dealing with or if you know somebody who's dealing with this, this is information that you can definitely benefit from. We have to take advantage of the different resources that are presented to us. So uh, they can also reach out to you where? They can reach me, uh, drumarjohnson.com, D-R-U-M-A-R johnson.com. They can also call me, uh, area code 215-989-9858, 215-989-9858. I also want to let your listeners know, I'm hoping they all there tomorrow night because they right. need to be. But And what time again? 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. Doors open up at 4. I have a free black parent teleconference I do every Tuesday morning. Nice. It's 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern, so that's 5 to 7 your time. Mm-hmm. If a parent has an issue with their child, education or mental health, I'm also a former school administrator. They can call me and get expert solutions to whatever they're dealing with. Oh, nice. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So that number is 857-232-0158, 857-232-0158, and the access code is 870-864-POUND. Let me also say, that we have an organization known as the National Independent Black Parent Association. I started it last year in Baltimore. We had three training conferences. The first one was Baltimore. The second one was Houston. The third one was in San Diego this past January. And the fourth one is going to be in Detroit. So if anyone wants to start a chapter of the Parent Association in St. Louis, in Kansas City, in the surrounding areas, come to Detroit June 9th and 10th. It's Friday and Saturday, all-day training by myself. I train you personally from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. so you can come back here and know what you're doing. Every chapter has seven committees, special ed, fight against special ed abuse. Okay. Also, special ed is a business. Every time you put a kid in special ed, they get a check. And I need you all to know that. The schools get a check every time I put a kid in special ed. It's money. It ain't about helping. It's cash. It's always a hustle. It's a welfare check, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's a discipline committee to fight against black kids being unfairly targeted for suspension and exposure. Right. We lead the country. Then there's a policy committee to change the rules in the schools that negatively affect our children. Your daughter live on the west side. Mm-hmm. You wanted to go to school on the east side. Principals say he cannot grant that transfer because that's outside your zip code. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that a state law? No. Uh, state no. law doesn't control that. That's a school district policy and you can change the policy if we organize. Gotcha. And then there's a homeschooling committee to help us organize the parents who want to homeschool their children. And then there's a parent advocacy committee to train some of you to be advocates. So if she got to go about her son, you're going to go with her as the advocate because you know the law. You know this book. She don't. Right. Okay. So you're going to fly her in and make sure she come out victorious. Right. So she might not stumble over some stuff. Exactly. So I, I also want to ask you about pan-Africanism because yes, that's a term that I, and I, I got to be honest, I don't know exactly what it is. So mm-hmm. explain that to me. Because you said you were a Pan-African. With a symbol, and it's this right here. Okay. This is Pan-Africanism. This is the flag that was given to us by the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey in 1920, New York City, at his first international convention. Pan-Africanism, I can sum it up in four principles. Okay. Principle number one, all African people, whether you live in Africa, Australia, whether you in London, France, Paris, whether you in China, where I'll be next week, whether you in Brooklyn, Jamaica, Cuba, Puerto Rico, if you are a direct descendant of Africa, then we one family. And we identify as family. We might have different religions. We might have different languages. We might uh, uh, speak, uh, experience different culture. Family first. Right. And we identify as being African before we identify as anything else. 
You follow me? Gotcha. So you might be a Spanish-speaking Brazilian. She might be a British-speaking sister in London. He might be in Paris mm -hmm. speaking French. Mm -hmm. She might be in Australia. I'm in St. Louis. But guess what? We all one family. And we identify as being family first because nothing is more important than family. So you never a Christian who happens to be an African. Right. You are African who happens to be a Christian. I love it. You okay. follow me? Race is first. Principle number two. As Africa goes, so goes the rest of us. The reason black America is still stuck in this quagmire 152 years after slavery is because we have not internationalized our struggle. The civil rights struggle had nothing to do with the African freedom struggle. Nothing. Right. You, you follow what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. The struggles we have today, when we marched for Michael Brown here, mm -hmm. it was not internationalized. Because they're going through the same thing in South Africa. They're going through the same thing in London. Right. If it was internationalized, you bring international pressure. We didn't do that. See, Marcus, I, I heard you speak about that before. Yeah, mm -hmm. Marcus Garvey said, a strong man is strong everywhere. Let me give you an example. Take Chinese. Mm -hmm. Take European Jews. Wherever they go, they respect it. I travel to, I don't care where the Chinese man at. He's respected and he owns a piece of the economy. I don't care where the European Jews at. I don't care where the British Anglo-Saxon is. He's respected and he owns a piece. Now let's look at us. You know why they respect it? Mm -hmm. China's strong. Britain's strong. Mm -hmm. Now let's take black folks. I don't care if you in Jamaica, and I was just there, I was the keynote for the Garvey celebration this past summer. I don't care if you in Jamaica. I don't care if you black in Canada. I don't care if you black in London. I don't care if you black in St. Louis. We own nothing. We control nothing. There's four constants for black folks around the world. I don't care where you go. Mm -hmm. When I get to China next week, how much you want to bet it's the same way for blacks in China? The same way. Single mothers, mass incarcerated, mass incarcerated black men, okay, mm -hmm. controlling none of the economy. We don't control none of the economy where we live. Right. Name a country, and I'll tell you the non-Africans who run the money, mm -hmm. right? And white Jesus everywhere you go in the world. There's white Jesus in St. Louis. There's white Jesus in London. There's white Jesus in Jamaica. There's white Jesus in Ghana, Nigeria. Black folks strung out on worshiping the image of a deity that looks like the enemy. And as Pan-African, as we believe your God better look like you. Your God better look like you. If it don't look like you, you volunteering to be a slave. On that note.